Here we are, the 2nd of November, and we've already learned the distinction between All Saints Day and All Souls Day. Yesterday was All Saints Day. Today is All Souls Day. Uh, and let's welcome a gentle soul, actually, into the fold. It's the morning brief. <laughs> Preet Banerjee is here, personal finance commentator. You can learn more at his website, Money Gaps. Nice to have you, Preet. Uh, nice to be had. And, John, you're you're a saint. So there you go. Thank you very much. Sinners and saints. That's what this show is all about. <laughs> okay, so people are preparing for Friday. I don't know that necessarily you or I have enough intelligence to predict whether or not it's going to come to crunch time, but it is starting to look like Friday is going to be a certain level of chaos. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I've been talking to friends um, who do have kids in the school system, and they're beside themselves with the prospect of what could happen, and they'd like to know sooner rather than later. And, you know, I think that the continual disruption in learning, uh, uh, you know, we've seen the drops in performance, not only scholastically, but also socially for the kids. It's been going on for a couple of years now. Parents' patients have worn completely thin. And with the backdrop of the acute inflation crisis, the wage cuts that, well, the wage increases proposed amount to wage cuts because they're so far below CPI that I think that some of the parents are going to be joining um, the, uh, the support staff on the picket lines. And yeah, I don't know what's going to happen, but there's the chance that this becomes quite protracted and quite heated. Yeah, it's interesting you observe that, though, because I was watching the television news last night, CTV Local, and they were talking with parents. And while a lot of them were distressed at the idea, great, I'm going to have to take the day off to look after the kids, a lot of them were expressing support for the education workers. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as more perspectives get shown about just how much they're paid and how everyone is just so attuned to the cost of living, and then they see how much support workers are being paid, and they're tasked with, you know, taking care of the children of the province. It's a pretty big responsibility. I think people see that there's a pretty big mismatch. So I think public support in the aggregate is going to fall towards staff, and that's why I, again, I've heard from some people who've said, yeah, I think I might actually join their cause because, well, I, I'm going to bring my kid there too because, uh, you know, my day has been uh, messed around with so much. Much. Meanwhile, Justin Trudeau and Seamus O'Regan, one of his cabinet ministers, condemning the Ontario government using the notwithstanding clause in order to pass this latest legislation. Should he have kept his nose out of it? Oh, it's a, it's an interesting one because, you know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, this is quite a different tone than the standing shoulder to shoulder comments from uh, Premier Ford about uh, the relationship and, and the handling of the convoy, which has a lot of parallels to what we're seeing on this file on the surface. And I say on the surface because uh, the prime minister said that the suspension of people's rights is something that you should only do in the most exceptional circumstances. And there is now a commission looking into the use of that after the fact with the Emergency Act, but on the other hand, suspending labor rights seems like much more of an overreach without any seeming accountability measures built in that I'm aware of. And so on the surface, you know, there's a lot of similarities, but when you dig into the details, it's I think it's a false equivalence. The Freedom Convoy be 
compared to the suspension of labor rights in in what seems like a very draconian manner are really two different things. But yes, you have to be careful because this is sort of the lightning rod about this type of issue with respect to the, the, to the Freedom Convoy. All right. Well, speaking of the convoy, let's listen in for a second. Uh, Chris Barber is one of the organizers of the Freedom Convoy. He was one of three people on the stand yesterday testifying, and he was asked how he got involved in the whole thing in the first place. How did you get involved in the convoy? I was contacted by Bridget Belton, another social media follower uh, via the app TikTok. Uh, communications started from there. Uh, speaking about possibly slow rolls uh, to protest the mandates for the border crossing uh, coming into effect January 15th for cross-border travel for commercial vehicles. So, I mean, what we learned yesterday and today should be fireworks because one of perhaps the most controversial person of all, Pat King, is going to be testifying today. But what we learned yesterday, Preet, was that there was a certain spontaneity to the protests. People came together and came up with the idea, started converging on Ottawa. They did not intend at the beginning to camp out and become a public nuisance. And also, as the days continued, there was a lot of difference of opinion about why they were there and what kind of tactics they would use. Right, so it seemed that there was a lot of internal power struggles, at least that what is what seems to be being described by people who were testifying yesterday. And, you know, the thing that struck me is that this is how an example of how decentralized power is not the panacea that some believe it to be. Um, and I mention that only because there's been a lot of people who advocate for, you know, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and Web3 because of the lack of, you know, centralized authority. And it doesn't look like decentralized power is necessarily a better system than some of the other systems. But that aside, I was watching um, a little bit of the hearings yesterday, and it was kind of what I expected in the end. Um, I wasn't really sure what to expect, but it seemed to line up with what I thought made sense. And it was this amazing amount of disdain from anyone who was taking the stand. There was one exchange, a lawyer introduced herself as representing the government, and immediately the person on the stand asked for clarification, saying, wait, do you mean you represent the liberal government or the government? And the entire proceeding seemed to be like that. So, and that was just the start. I think you're right today. I think we're really going to see the fireworks. Yeah, well, I wonder if we ever get to the point where somebody challenges the actual existence of the government, because there was a portion <laughs> of those protesters who call themselves, I think the phrase is free citizens, and they they don't recognize the state. They don't recognize taxes. They don't even recognize things like property lines, uh, you know, and, and zoning, whatever. They don't recognize any of it. So maybe that's where Pat. King comes from today. We'll find out. Uh, Ottawa revealing yesterday a plan that by 2025, we're going to have 500,000 newcomers a year. Your thoughts? Yes, yeah, so that's only really two years away or three years away. And those numbers aren't really that much higher compared to where we've been trending. So not surprising. Uh, I think, well, listen, I'm pro-immigration. I'm all for it. Um, and I think it's better for the economy in the long run. Uh, I think one of the things that we need to sort of address with these plans is making sure that when they come, that they have a chance to thrive as much as we have seen them thrive in the past and one of the reasons why that could be impeded is the cost of living and 
putting a roof over someone's head and what kind of situation do they come into if they don't come with a lot of money already. So, um, you know, this just adds to, um, you know, the decision matrix of, you know, how many people come in and how do we address this, you know, this big crisis, which is housing affordability. Okay, and I don't know, Preet, if you're a golfer, but I'm somewhat saddened to see in print today in the Globe and Mail that apparently my favorite place, Flemington Golf Course, which is nine holes and right in the heart of the city, could end up being turned into part housing and then, <clears throat> excuse me, a brand new park. Yeah, and I'm listen, I'm sympathetic to you. I am not an avid golfer. I've played, and when I've played, it's a fantastic game. Uh, but what's worse, people not being able to find appropriate housing or people not being able to go for a nice walk interrupted by, you know, whacking a ball every, with a stick every three minutes. So, unfortunately, this seems like a no-brainer to me. I, I don't know where you'll be able to golf, but, you know, just outside Toronto, there's doesn't Ontario have like the highest concentration of golf courses golf courses in the world even next to Scotland I don't know it could be but for me I guess the charm has always been I can get to this place in 20 minutes get home and prep the show make dinner go to bed and everything <laughs> else involves getting on the 404 yeah, I feel your pain, but not not a huge amount of sympathy, unfortunately. Well, thank you very much, sir. <laughs> Sorry, John. You take care. You too. <laughs>